The thing that made him truly great and super, it was that he listened to God's voice and he spoke God's words. Sounds really simple, doesn't it? But it was really, really hard because what he did was he walked up to the strongest king in that whole area and he said, your God is wrong. The true God you have rejected. There won't be any more rain. No more rain. And that's because that king got his whole people, the people of God, to follow the God that brings rain, supposedly. And, and Elijah was saying, my God's the only living God. He'll decide if there's going to be rain. And you know what? The problem with not being rain is that Elijah had to be taken care of, too. Now, now, I don't know if you listened closely to what Verity was saying, but can you tell me in this story there are two things, I'm giving you a little bit of a hint there, that fed, that fed Elijah. What fed Elijah? Yes. Oh, the oil and the flour. Well, who, get, who, who made the oil and the flour, the cakes and things? Who made that? Do you remember? The oil and flour fed him, but who, who made it? Yeah. It was the widow. So a widow fed Elijah, and who else fed Elijah? Now, this is sort of a trick question. Do you remember? Yes, Verity. You should probably know because you read today. Yes. The ravens fed him. Does anybody know what ravens get to eat? Do you know what they do? What do ravens eat? Yes. Scrap, trash. You are exactly right. That is, they are scavengers and they eat trash. Roadkill, whatever's dead, whatever's out there. So those are the two things that fed Elijah. Ravens and a widow did as well. Now I want you during our time today uh, to draw one of three pictures. You can actually draw all three pictures if you want. Okay? One is a picture of superhero Elijah standing in front of King Ahab and saying, no more, there is no more rain. And that's in a nice palace. He's sitting on a throne, and Elijah... By the way, Elijah wore a hair shirt made of hair, like camel hair, and a leather belt. He was kind of a wild-looking guy, a lot like John the Baptist. So you can draw a picture of that. You can draw a picture of him being fed meat and bread and all kinds of stuff, by ravens, too. Draw a picture with ravens feeding Elijah. And the last thing is you, can, you can draw a picture of is the widow with oil, a jug of oil, and a pan of bread feeding him the, what they think is the last supper because her son is there, too, and they're very poor. So you can do one of those two pictures, a meal, ravens, or the king with superhero Elijah. So come on up to the front here. You can draw, you can draw pictures, or you can, make, you can make the scene with clay, too. So come on up and grab these things. And as you're doing that, uh, we're going to talk from the front of the church to the adults for about 12 minutes. <laughs> you guys have 12 minutes to draw. Well, let's pray as the children are quiet. <laughs> let's join in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for Elijah. We thank you for the gift of your living word. And we thank you that you speak to us because you are the living God. Lord, speak to us through your word today so that Jesus is glorified and we know your love and your purposes for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, 
a little bit of a setup. We are talking about Elijah the next five weeks. And Elijah comes to Israel in a time of great darkness. This is evil times. Uh, The greatest of the Old Testament prophets come in one of the worst times in Israel's life. They'd had a succession of terrible kings. Um, We should be thankful for the politicians that we have when we consider what Israel had. Uh, 20 kings and uh, almost to a person, they were leading the people of God away from the true God uh, to worship idols and to go into immorality and to see the destruction of society. The darkest of times. Many in Israel had forsaken God and followed Baal, this God that uh, supposedly provided rain and for the flourishing of the crops and for the economy to grow. So out of the blue, Elijah uh, comes into Ahab's life and brings God's living word. And it's not a pleasant word. He says in verse 1, if you turn to 1 Kings 17, there is going to be no rain until God says otherwise. And as I told the children, the deep meaning of that is that Baal is the God of rain. And here, Elijah is saying, your God is powerless. Your God is lifeless. Your God is a dead end, and you are leading people into that dead end. There is judgment here. And that is what Elijah's life work is about. It is very positively to say there is one God and there is the way of life. It's only in this God that you will find true hope. And his life work is to turn people's hearts to the living God and back away from those lifeless gods that they were so tempted to follow for their own uh, financial benefit. Um, And we're going to see in the next few weeks the powerful things God does through his ministry. He becomes the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, as I said, the, the, the superhero. He becomes the guy that's going to be with Jesus at the transfiguration. Um, he is the one who prefigures Jesus. And yet Elijah is going to experience incredible physical and spiritual and emotional Uh, brokenness and weakness. You're going to see him persecuted. You'll see him hungry and alone and often at the end of his rope. Um, He is very human here. Uh, And you're going to see, as we heard in in this reading, that God immediately sends Elijah away from Ahab to be fed by ravens, as I told the children. And he's not running away to the wilderness to hide. There is something very symbolic about what he's doing. It shows that God's word is leaving Israel. And this question, that, you know, his own people, God is leaving uh, with his word. Now, you might wonder, could this happen in Canada? We have all these Bibles. We have access to things that have to do with God's word all of the time. And the answer is yes. It happens. In fact, today, later on, there's going to be a very large parade in Vancouver. And it is a parade that will be celebrating, worshiping creation rather than the creator. It will be something that will celebrate and revel in confusion of what God intended for his creation. It will glorify sexual immorality and will actually scorn God's good and loving purposes for sexuality. It will scorn the idea of purity 
and that there is a God that we would listen to who knows us and what is better for us, better than we know ourselves. And whole denominations and many other congregations proudly support that movement and preach its aims. So there is an, uh, there's a famine of God's word in those churches and denominations. There, there will be no true life, no growth, no reality in their relationship with God if they reject and, uh, and do not have God speaking to them through their word. And that is what is happening today. Uh, so we have in our own country a little foretaste of what things were like in Israel. But wonderfully, the rest of the Bible reading in verses 2 through 16 is this deep contrast. It's actually about two people, Elijah and this widow, who feed on God's word. There is nothing else. There is only God's word uh, by faith to feed on. And it's really hard to do it. Um, they know the reality of God and his power in, his, in their lives by feeding on that word. We don't have a lot of time, but I want to encourage you with the faith of those two people and apply it to us right now. Look at verses 2 through 7. You see, Elijah, he is fed by ravens who are scavengers, as I said, twice a day bringing bread and meat. So there's roadkill, and who knows what else? He's drinking from the brook that's getting smaller and smaller every day. And he must have wondered, where is God taking me? If he had a motto, it would be, there is no profit in being a prophet. And he could put it on a bumper sticker. There doesn't seem to be any future here. Uh, But every day what he did was to hold on to God's word. God told me to come here. I just won't think about what the ravens are bringing me. I'm going to cook it really well. Uh, there's nothing else. I'm here. Uh, I'm, I, I can only lean on God's word. And what he does is he perseveres. He stays in the wilderness. And just as the brook dries up, just as that sustenance is gone, God's word comes to him in verses 8 and 9. And God says, go to Zarephath which is near Sidon on the coast of Lebanon. It's, a, it's just to the north of Israel. It's a pagan country. And I don't know if you know this, but it's where Jezebel, Ahab's wife, who is leading the charge to move towards Baal, that's where she's from. And in that pagan country, God says, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And he must have thought, A widow? Provide? That makes no sense. And it's not just any widow, but we find out that she is the poorest of widows. And uh, uh, women whose husband have died, there was no social net. There was nothing to provide for them. It was a dead end. Uh, When her husband died, leaving her nothing, she was gathering sticks. She had a son. She was going to have one last meal. She's literally the most unlikely person to take care of Elijah. But again, it is God's word that he obeys. And it is God's word that says, God will provide by his own power, by his own strength. And God is calling Elijah, and I think he's calling us too, to look at the world through the the eyes of faith, through the eyes of God, which is often very unlikely and upside down from what we conventionally would think. 
And it turns out that her faith, that you're going to see in verses 10 through 16, um, teaches us today very clearly what faith is, what it means to hear God's living word and to respond. And I don't think it's an accident that 800 years later, Jesus will talk to a Canaanite woman from the exact same location who comes to Jesus and says, heal my daughter. And he says, you know that I came for the people of God, that the, the, the bread is not for the dogs. And she says, even the dogs eat the little crumbs from the table. And she says, there, he says to her, there is faith. That is the living faith. Your daughter is healed. And he raises her up and says, this is what it means to believe in God. Uh, and indeed, that is what this widow of Zarephath is teaching us as well. She is the example of living faith. She shows us five things very briefly. First of all, she teaches us that God speaks to every kind of person in every situation. Whether it's the great prophet or a completely unknown pagan woman, God speaks to them. I have commanded a widow. Jesus said, I have spoken to this widow and spoken to her before Elijah arrived. What a surprise it must have been to her. And each of you gathered here today have very different stories from one another. But for all of you, God is speaking to each of us through his word, whatever your situation. He is speaking personally. He reveals his personal love for you in that he speaks to you. And that's what sets the living God apart from any other God and any other religion. It is not arrogant to know that God is the living God who speaks to us. It is true, and it is very, very good. He wants you to know him personally and his transforming life. And the question that the widow really, her example, gives us is, are you listening to God? Do you read his word expecting him to speak to you. The second thing she teaches us is that God challenges us in faith. He challenges us to trust and believe in sometimes very difficult ways. You know, when Elijah comes, he asks not only for water, but then he asks for food when she's getting that water. And she says, look, as your Lord God lives, and she knows it because he spoke to her, I don't have anything. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. How can I give this thing that you're asking me to give? It's an incredible sacrifice. Let's, let us die in peace, Elijah. <clears throat> and it may seem a great hardship and a sacrifice for us to trust God and to obey him. We don't see why sometimes. That is the part of the walk of faith for each of us. There is challenge. There is testing and real risk we take in following Jesus. It is the part and parcel of having a living faith. And this woman reveals it in the most uh, extreme ways. And that leads, though, to the third thing. And it teaches us that God also assures us in his word. Not only challenges us, but assures us. Uh, he gives promises. Look at verses 13 and 14. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Uh, the most frequently commanded uh, thing in the Bible, 
Do not fear. Do not fear. Instead, uh, do as you have, as I have said. First, make me a little cake of it. Bring it to me, Elijah says, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For here's what the Lord says. The jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord brings rain upon the earth. You see, God's word is full of promises. And what this woman is doing is she's being called to risk everything, to trust in those promises. Because God in his word says that true hope is found in listening to that word. Uh, He's calling this woman to go from desperation to promise. He is calling her to replace her fear and anxiety with a risky trust in God, our salvation, our only true hope. And that's true for you as well. God is calling you to replace the fear and anxiety you have about what you are facing with a risky trust in God being your only true hope. And again, that leads there to something fourthly. And that is the walk of faith and obedience. And I want you to notice what she does, this woman does, about that promise. Um, She actually leans completely on it. She has no choice. She's like Elijah in the wilderness. She believes a sheer promise and she takes the risk of faith. And it's a risk that she takes every single day. That is the nature of faith. God does not show us the whole picture. He calls us every day to trust him in what we know. And so it was not like for, it would have been great if for that woman, God had caused a big van to pull up with a whole um, 100 pounds of flour sack and a huge 100-gallon jug of olive oil. But no, morning by morning, there was just enough oil at the bottom of the jug and the same amount of flour at the bottom of a jar. Yet verse 15 says, her household ate for many days. Now put yourself in the widow's shoes. Every day this happens. By about day 22, she was probably beginning to think, God is faithful. God is faithful. And this is what we are called to this. This is the nature of the living faith. Um, She could have sung at that point probably, uh, great is your faithfulness, morning by morning, New mercies I see, because that's what was going on for her. That's the nature of living faith. And we are called to this. God doesn't show the whole picture, but he calls us to an ongoing living faith and believe in him each day. And in that, our lives, if you're like me, we often forget to pray. Even about small things, like writing a sermon and and suddenly saying, I can't figure out what I'm going to say. Oh, yeah, I should pray. I should pray. (laughs) And uh, this is the nature of an ongoing living faith. God does not show us beyond what he is calling us to each day very, very often. And the reason for that is so that we cultivate this living faith in which we experience the reality and the love of God. It's one of the reasons why we say grace at meals. Day by day, we're saying, I'm depending on God for his mercies, that his mercy and grace are new every morning. Now, I want to close in about 30 seconds. So, you guys are almost done writing? No. You guys are amazing. (laughs) You're very very good and quiet. So, um, I'm going to finish in about a minute, and then we're going to look at your reading, your things that you've done. You can put your stuff away.
But I want you to say that the la- I want to say that the last thing the widow shows us is that God fulfills his promises. God fulfills them. Verse 16, if you look at that, exactly mirrors Elijah's promise. It says that the flour was not spent, the jug of oil did not become empty according to the word of the Lord. And you see what the widow and her son and Elijah all came to learn is that God does what he promises in his word. And we as Christians have this incredible gift in that Jesus is our guarantee of this. In Jesus, all of the promises of God are fulfilled. The whole arc of the Bible, all that, is, that Elijah is about, all that the prophets are all, all, are all about, the whole Old Testament, everything is fulfilled in him. And what that means is that all our hopes are fulfilled and will be fulfilled in him, that in the midst of even the most difficult times that you face, he brings us to the living God by the forgiveness of sins. And he actually pours into us his love into our hearts. He fills us with his very presence, his Holy Spirit. And he gives us life with him forever. These promises are actually being fulfilled day by day in all of the things that are happening in our life. The hard things and the joys. This is the hope that is at the center of real life, the life of God. It is the hope that actually shapes our life and actually makes us who God intended us to be. May God give you the faith of this widow as you hear his word today and each day in the days to come. To him be all honor and glory, praise and thanksgiving, now and forever. Amen.